Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today we're talking about organizing your home, life, and mind with Shira Gill. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. I am so excited to dive into this topic with my amazing guest today because I know how much of a big deal this topic is to you. Either you're great at organizing and decluttering and you want to hear more, like you've got a label maker and you get you just love when you get to go to a bin store, something like that, super fun, container store, you know. Or maybe you're not great at organizing and decluttering and you want to hear more. So either way, I know you want to hear more. So that's what we're going to do. But just quick, speaking of wanting more, when this is you, that you know you are meant for more, I want to make sure you know there's help. You are not alone. So if you're feeling stuck and confused and actually dreaming about what it would be like to be crystal clear about what you wanted, So you could just get going again and have more in your life. So you feel amazing about your next chapter. If that's you, I hear you. That's why I created the Women in the Middle Happiness Academy with you in mind, because it's an intimate, warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women who grow forward together. It is totally possible to feel great about your roadmap to a more fun, meaningful phase of your life. And let me clarify, I'm talking about a regret-free phase. How exciting is that? So email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's for you. Go ahead and book your free, not scary, and there's zero obligation, momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. Okay, now let's dive in because I have a treat for you. My guest today is Shira Gill. Shira is a globally recognized home organizing expert, best-selling author, and speaker. She has inspired thousands of people to clear clutter from their homes and lives and developed a process and toolkit that applies to anyone, regardless of budget, space, or lifestyle. Shira is the author of Minimalista and Organized Living and has been featured in over 100 print and media outlets, including Good Morning America, Vogue, Dwell, Better Homes and Gardens, House Beautiful, Architectural Digest, Domino, Forbes, Goop, Harper's Bazaar, HGTV, Today in Style, Parents, Real Simple, and the New York Times. I can't wait to share this interview with you. You're going to love it and get a fresh perspective on organized living. Personally, I finally know how to deal with having too many sheets. (laughs) Please enjoy. Hi, Shira. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Yay. I'm so happy to be here with you. Oh, I'm so happy to be here too. And you know, you really are an expert in this area of decluttering and being minimalist and organizing. And I have to say, these are not my skills. So I do (laughs) enjoy having an opportunity to talk to you about it. Oh, good. Well, I do believe that anyone at any age can learn how to think like an organizer. Um, so it's never too late for this. I love that it's never too late because 
women our age, we do enjoy collecting and <laughs> we've gotten good at it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we've had many, many decades to do it. So um, I can definitely see that I need a little support in this area and I know I'm not alone. So that's good. Yeah. Um, so you have been writing books. We're going to be talking about your books. And I guess one of the things that really stood out to me as I was preparing for the interview was your mission, that your mission is to help others reduce physical and mental clutter and create homes that feel good. Yes. Tell me a little bit about why that mission. Yeah. So um, like a little about my backstory, I, I was raised in the San Francisco Bay Area um, by very creative um, uh, parents who really valued experiences over things. So they were almost anti-materialistic kind of hippies. And they split up when I was three and had a big, bad divorce when I was eight. Um, I was an only child. And so I ended up having joint custody and um, my parents lived 10 blocks apart. And so I went back and forth every other day, kind of dragging my things back and forth which I think really is the genesis of um, becoming a minimalist for me because stuff from an early age became burdensome mm. and having two sets of everything and dragging it back and forth and having to kind of keep track of what I owned as a kid made me just feel negative, I guess, about stuff. Um, that combined with my parents' much more positive philosophy around emphasizing creativity and connection and experiences over material things. Um, and so I think that's kind of where the minimalist bent came from. But in terms of tidying and organization, I think it came from feeling like so much was out of control in my life as a little kid. Things felt really like people were fighting and there were custody battles in court and, you know, this crazy custody schedule. And so I think how I comforted myself was by setting up rooms that felt really good. And I remember puttering around in my rooms and kind of organizing things and having my little collections on display and it feeling um like a real self-soothing mechanism. And so I never really thought of it as like, I'm an organized person. It was just more so I'm very sensitive to my space and I like making a space that feels good. And I think as I kind of embodied this, other people started noticing. And so I would help my friends, you know, with their rooms and helping them tidy and declutter and organize their desks or their clothes. It was just fun for me. Um, and I never really envisioned this to be a career path, you know, because professional organizing is really a brand new career, like in the past decade or so, um, that it's really like come on the scene. So it was just something I did really recreationally. And it wasn't until um, I had kids of my own in my 30s and everyone I knew in every mother's group, in every like social circle, just the topic of conversation was constantly being bogged down by clutter and disorganization and how do you keep on top of the things. And I just found that I had this natural ability to help people. And that it was so deeply satisfying to me. Um, so that's kind of the, the long and the short of it, I guess, how I got into it. I, I love that people started to notice that it was a skill. Yes, it really was. I never would have started my business without my girlfriends telling me. And I actually, I mean, the real, 
the real thing that happened is I was laid off from a full-time job when I was eight months pregnant and I had no backup plan. I was working as an event producer, didn't love my job, but had no plan B. And I had to make money. My husband was working in the nonprofit sector and we relied on a dual income. And I was really scrambling. I was like, I'm eight months pregnant. No one's going to hire me. What am I doing? And it was probably three different girlfriends who said, you know how you help me declutter my closet and get organized and get rid of things and make decisions. Like, I really think other people need this. And it was because so many people kind of echoed this to me that I started to take it seriously because I really was like, this isn't a thing, you guys. Like, this isn't a career. And um, I think it was out of a place of desperation. Like I needed to find a way to make money. My friends were telling me I was onto something. And literally I cobbled together a website. My friend took pictures of my own home. Like, you know, we staged my closet and my pantry. And I literally just put the word out on an email blast and started booking my first client. So it was completely organic how this happened. There was no business plan. Oh man, that just, I I get such delight from hearing this story because one of the main things that comes up over and over again with midlife women who are stuck and confused about what they want. They know they're meant for more. They're just not happy, even though their job looks good on paper, even though they got a lot of enjoyment, enjoyment yeah. from their job and satisfaction, fulfillment. They know that there's more for them. Yes. They just don't know what it is. And to find it seems hard. It's like, yeah. ugh, I don't know. And you don't even recognize these soft skills, even though it's not a soft skill. In your mind, you barely even notice it as a skill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I completely took it for granted. And it, my friends were like shaking me and yelling at me for me to hear it <laughs> because I was like, this is not a profession. And um, and yeah, I, I do tell people that a lot, that I had no business plan. I had no like professional credentials for this. It was something that was literally born out of, I have a hunch that I could help people with this. I enjoy doing it and it's easy for me. Um, and so the way that I launched my business was literally sending an email to everyone I knew in the Bay Area, including my dentist, and just saying, if you or anyone you know needs help with clutter or um, organization, I'd love to help. Here's my information. And people started reaching out and booking me. So it was so simple. <laughs> Sometimes it's better not to know too much, yeah. right? <laughs> right. I'm like, no, I didn't go to business school. I didn't make a five-year plan. It was like, just maybe this might work. And um, and sure enough, it did. So good. And then the other piece of that that can be uh, just so frustrating for people is not to recognize or believe that they're already on the right path that they've been on the right path their whole lives. Yes. And exactly. like, who knew, but you are. And everything that you did, even what you did before this, I would imagine it still helped you in some way. In some way, it was still connected. Would you say? Absolutely. I mean, what's so funny is um, what I didn't mention is I was an actor in the theater for 20 years. And so, you know, I moved from that to event planning for only a handful of years and now into organizing which you wouldn't think would relate at all to life in the theater. But in fact, I'm teaching, I'm presenting, I'm doing workshops, I'm on camera. And it does feel like this kind of full circle yeah. thing. 
that like all of that training really came to use now in what I'm doing. I love that. Perfect. Okay. So um, another thing that I picked up in your book was this idea of less stuff and more meaning. Yeah. So what do you mean by more meaning? Yeah. So I have helped now hundreds of people in person get organized and thousands online. And the way that I always start my process is by asking my clients, what do you want to create in your life? What do you want more of? And so before we even think about organization or decluttering or taking our homes by storm, the key question is really to figure out what do you want to create? What are your values right now? What are your goals? What are your priorities? And I think it's not until that clicks into place, like until that happens, it really doesn't make sense to start decluttering or organizing. And in a way, I find that decluttering and organizing a home is actually a process to help you determine who you are and what you care about. And so that's why I think I love this work so much. And it's been so deeply fulfilling is because it really is values-based work. The work is figuring out What do I want and what's in the way? And so in our homes, when we look at that, if you decide, say, I want to become an executive coach, but I can't see my desk because it's so cluttered, you've got to get from here to there, right? And so then instead of just feeling like, oh, I have to declutter my desk, it's I want to create a desk that helps launch this exciting career. What would that desk look like? What would I need to be successful in this career? Um, likewise, for me, one of my personal goals was just, I want to travel the world. And every year I want to go to a new country. I want to be able to travel at the drop of a hat. And so having a curated wardrobe, having very little to manage makes it easy for me to travel, makes it easy for me to rent my house out, to fund travel. And so it's really starting with the values piece of like, What do you care about? What do you want to create that then makes it so much easier to clear physical and mental clutter? So that's really like the starting place. Um, And in my first book, Minimalista, where I take you through my five-step process, number one is clarify. And I always say like, that is the meat and the heart of what I do is helping people make those big decisions before they're making all the little decisions. And when you ask somebody this, are you met with a blank stare? Often. Yeah. Often. And I think, you know, what, what's sad is that I think people don't often take the time or the space or give themselves the gift of asking, what do I really want? It feels often like there isn't room for that or they've never been invited to, you know, marinate on that question. Um, so yeah, that does sometimes take some real coaching for people. And sometimes, as you know, just saying like, well, what if you did know? Or what if anything was possible? There was nothing in the way and people will get there. Um, but yeah, it does sometimes take like a little spaciousness and some coaching and, and asking the right questions to get people to really feel free enough to pursue those large and small dreams. Yeah. And even that you just said spaciousness in a cluttered situation, they lack spaciousness. So it's hard to, you know, do the equivalent of closing your eyes and thinking. 
Yes. And by the way, I've had many people who have said, I really just can't think straight. And I just know that I want to clear the clutter. And once we clear the physical clutter, they do have an aha moment. So it can work in the reverse way as well. Like sometimes you just have to start taking action and feel things changing around you to feel like now there's the potential to start dating or to pursue a new career or to change your health. Like I've seen all of that come out of just physically decluttering your space. Mm. And what do you find is the hardest thing for people to get rid of to break through? Is it how they're going to get rid of something or is it a type of thing that they need to Mm. release? It's both. So, um, you know, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, so there is a big focus on sustainability, which is great. But I also find that it really hinders people because they feel like I have to find the right, exact, perfect home for this thing. And if I don't, I'm irresponsible. So therefore, it's going to gather dust for the rest of my life by my front door. (laughs) And so I have to do a lot of encouraging of like, we're going to find the best place we can that's easy and efficient for you right now. It may not be perfect, but it's anything is better than having it just collect dust by your front door. So there is that, you know, stumbling block of just, I don't know where and how to donate exactly perfectly right. Um, And then I would say, you know, the places that get the most overwhelming for people are paperwork, memorabilia, photos, Things that feel like, you know, if you have a stack of any of those things, it's like a hundred decisions. Yeah. Whereas if you look at like, I don't know, a drawer in your kitchen full of Tupperware, it's much less emotional, right? To like go, oh, this is cracked. I'm going to recycle it. So I think um, I always try to start people with easy wins. So tackling like your coat closet, because it's usually not super emotional to look through like galoshes and umbrellas and hats, but it can pack a major punch if you feel like you're walking into your home and you have a streamlined, lovely entry. Um, Or even like a junk drawer in your kitchen. Like that's something you engage with probably every day. And maybe you don't realize that it feels stressful to look at this clutter drawer. But once you spend 15 minutes clearing it out, wiping it down and putting things in neatly, it really can impact the daily flow of your life. So I like to start people with those like quick, easy wins so they can get momentum. And I always save like the basements or the attics or the garages for when you feel like your whole home is feeling good. And now you're ready to tackle the big headache at the end. (laughs) Oh, wow. And that uh, there's a piece of this that comes up all the time in the midlife community is when you inherit stuff from your parents, when you have to clean out a home or when they downsize. And you end up with the silver trays, the tea sets, the, uh, the tea. There was a tea set that came down in my family that I actually wanted, Hmm. but my uncle who was ready to give it to me, he said, are you sure you want this? Because I can sell it for you and give you the money. And I'm like, Oh no, no, I actually want that. But there was a silver tray conversation with Hmm. my mother-in-law. She had a whole bunch of silver trays and I was very surprised to learn that nobody wanted them. Right. I wanted one for the kitchen island, but yeah. no, none of the kids wanted them. None, none of them saw them as heirlooms or as anything valuable. It just really surprised me because I grew up thinking people my age, many of us grew up thinking that China, 
and serving platters and sterling, that that was all valuable stuff that should be kept and really appreciated. So, uh, yeah. So when we start to have all this extra stuff that had meaning for the seniors in our lives, what do we do with that? Yeah. And I've been through that process. I lost my dad 10 years ago and um, me and my much younger brother inherited everything he owned um, because he was single when he died. And my brother at the time was only 19 and he was, you know, off in college, needed and wanted nothing. So I was kind of left with this, you know, three bedroom home with an attic and a garage. And I live in a small craftsman bungalow with my husband and two kids and dog. And we have very limited storage space. So essentially, I inherited an entire other home and all of its contents. And we figured out we probably had room for maybe like eight bins, right? Maximum in our basement. And um, so I had to go through this process, which was a very... Um, a very taxing personal process. And the way that I navigated it was by creating clear physical boundaries to contain my decision-making. So the way that I did that is I started with what do I have the space and the capacity to store in my home? Um, because I personally don't believe in offsite storage. Uh-huh. So, um, so <laughs> that's a big bone of contention with some people, but. For me, I feel like paying to store things offsite doesn't make sense. Like I want to have boundaries and limits around what I own from a sustainability point of view and also just from a mental clutter perspective. I want as little to manage as possible. So with that philosophy in mind, we looked at our little tiny basement and we said, I think it was something like eight to 10 bins will fit here. And so I went to my dad's house and kind of looked around and a friend came with me for emotional support. And we kind of looked and I said, okay, like, I don't need any of the furniture. I don't need any of the things that are really just things like mugs. And, you know, in my dad's case, he didn't have like fine china or beautiful platters. So that wasn't an issue. Um, But he had a lot of stuff. He had a house full of stuff. And so what I did is I spent a day with a girlfriend and I took, you know, eight bins that I bought from like Home Depot. And I said, okay, this is my physical boundary of what I can fill. I'm going to take the most precious, the most meaningful and the most valuable for me. And for me, that kind of broke down to photos, letters. Uh, My dad was a hiker. And so he had maps that were annotated that felt very meaningful. So all of those things were able to fit in those bins. And I took a handful of CDs and books that felt kind of personal. And then from there, I packed up my bins. I put them in my basement. And then I asked all of his family in New York, here's what's here, who wants what. And I sent off things that were meaningful to other people. And then I had someone run an estate sale for me because it was so overwhelming. And it was such a win-win because at the end of it, His entire home was cleared out. I had taken what I wanted in advance. And then everything went to people who wanted it. And the rest was donated to libraries and charities. So that was my way of dealing with it. I think um, for people like I had a client who was an only child who both of her parents passed away and she inherited a dozen different tea sets from different, you know, (laughs) generations. (laughs) And she was just sort of like, 
I'm the responsible one. Like no one, I'm an only child. Like I'm the keeper of all of these heirlooms. And it was such a burden for her. And her partner felt like it was a burden because we aren't, you know, younger generations are not a generation that uses fancy tea sets or formal China. And so instead of it becoming like this lovely gift, it really was a burden. And so what we decided was to take a single teacup from each of the dozen collections to make one new collection that was kind of cool and eclectic and reflected her family um, lineage. And then she donated the rest. So there are sometimes creative solutions like that. Like I've had people who, you know, inherit all of these quilts and they make one quilt to keep, you know, or like um, I've seen people who make a very creative collection out of like all of the things that were inherited and they make it into almost like a little mini art installation. Mm. But like curating one from a collection is a great um, tip to use that you don't have to keep an entire collection. You can take the one tray or the one teacup or the one ring and have it take on almost more meaning because it's not this massive um, pile. Oh yeah, that's good. Um, my my cousin inherited a lot of photo albums. Hmm. Her dad was a real collector. He was great at labeling he had so many notes and he he was just so good at it. But it was bookcases full of photo albums. Yeah. So she, it took her, I think it took a year, wow. maybe more. But yeah. she went through everything and she digitized the one she wanted to keep. And then she made several digital photo books that she could share with family. And that's what she did. And that's then she lovely. was able, yeah, I thought that was good, but it was a huge, she was daunting. A massive project. Massive project. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I always tell people, keep those daunting projects, stow them for the end. Like start with the low hanging fruit and the things that are going to affect you on a day-to-day basis, like clear your dining room table, make sure you have a nice place to sit and work, make sure your um, nightstand feels lovely to look at. That's a big one for people is just nightstands that are piles of paperwork and glasses and coffee mugs and mail. And I'm like, this is a quick win. You can clear off the surface of your nightstand, put something beautiful on it, maybe a single book you're reading or a journal. And now you're waking up to beauty instead of waking up to stress, right? So there's all these little tiny, I call them 15 minute wins Mm. throughout your home. And instead of feeling, because what happens is people get so overwhelmed that they don't start. Yeah. And so the key to starting is to reduce the overwhelm. And I do that with people by saying like one drawer at a time, one small surface at a time, you're going to start improving the look and feel of your home. But it's never going to work if you try to take the whole thing by storm at once. So, yeah, that's just too scary. (laughs) It's too burdensome. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Okay. Now I really want to talk about your book, your new book, Organized Living Solutions and Inspiration for Your Home. And why it, what really stands out about this book is the way you talk to 25 other designers around the world and really got personal with them and used photographs of their own homes. I thought it was fascinating. So tell us a little bit about why that book came to be and what really got you excited about it. Yeah. So um, I had finished my first book, Minimalista, which really detailed my personal process, my organizing process, like from A to Z. 
But I have so many colleagues and I've been now a professional organizer for nearly 15 years. And every time I would go to a colleague's house, I'm very nosy. And so I would poke around and I would say, show me how you organize your medicine cabinet or how do you deal with cord clutter or what do you do with your photographs, right? And every professional organizer kind of had a different take on it. And so I just had this light bulb moment where I thought, wouldn't it be really cool to showcase the homes of how real professional organizers around the world organize so that readers could get a take from not just my minimalist philosophy, but from a maximalist, from um, someone who has a huge family, from someone who's living alone in a tiny apartment, you know, from every type of culture, from cities, from suburbs. So I pitched this idea to my publisher, um, and luckily they were on board. And um, so I embarked on basically this incredible one year um, where I traveled around the world with a photographer, Vivian Johnson, um, who's a great interiors photographer. And we would go um, one day at a time and tour um, each expert's home, ask them questions. Vivian would document the photos. I would write kind of the profile of the organizer's philosophy and a breakdown of their best tips. Um, and really the goal with this book is to eliminate how organizing can and should look different for everyone. So I think sometimes the versions of organization we see in um, pop culture, on TV and in magazines, it's very cookie cutter. It's, you know, everything in clear plastic bins or everything in rainbow order. And for some people, that just doesn't resonate. That's not how they would get organized. So I really wanted to showcase like you can organize in any way you want. Um, I have a zero waste organizer who doesn't buy a single product and everything he uses to organize his home has been found or repurposed. Um, I have a maximalist who loves color and collections and art. Um, and so it was really fascinating to go through um, this process and the feedback has been so great from people saying like, I really identified with this person or that person, or thank you for including this person. Um, there's even an organizer who downsized from having 300 pairs of shoes to living in a tiny Airstream trailer. Oh my God. Um, so <laughs> there is really something for everyone in this book to find inspiration from. Well, one thing that did stand out with all these images are the way people do treat their shoes in these images. And I have to say, I can't even imagine it. So there are these beautiful pictures with somebody's beautiful closet. And then you'll see beautiful shoes, not worn and icky, but like beautiful, not muddy, not schmutzy. And there might be two shoes on a shelf, two pairs. And then there's yeah. something pretty. And then there's two more shoes on a shelf. And I just think about my foyer in Canada. People right. take their shoes off. Yes, and, yes. and it's a big hullabaloo in the foyer. <laughs> big time, big giant mess always. Yeah. And I just don't, I don't know. I just can't imagine shoes being beautifully part yeah. of a scenario in a closet. Tell me about shoes. And mind you, I have too many shoes. Yeah, I get yeah. that. I, well, right. it's, I get it's that. It's often a volume issue with yeah. shoes. However, I will say, so I, you know, I had an organizer in Chicago, many organizers in New York. So people who are really dealing with real seasons and snow and rain. Right. And typically what they did is they just had like a tiny area in their entry. And a lot of these people had like very space challenged homes or apartments. 
where it's all about the fewer better philosophy. So I think instead of organizing more, it's like owning less but better, right? So there's an organizer who has exquisite taste. She's kind of an organizer and a designer named Laura Catano. And she lives in New York in a 300 square foot apartment. And she loves shoes and she loves fashion. She loves shopping. But she literally owns like one beautiful pair of rain boots that she takes very good care of, right? And so instead of having this big mountain by her front door, she's got like the one really nice pair. And her closet looks like a boutique. It's super curated. Everything's out of boxes and on shelves and it looks like art. And she told me, you know, she'll wear them and she's out in New York and she's pounding the pavement. Then she'll come home. She'll wipe down the bottom of the shoe with like a a wipe, an antibacterial wipe and place it back on the shelf. So it really is about, you know, having the habit and the mindfulness of I want to own really nice things and I want to take really good care of them and kind of respect the things, respect the people who made the things, respect my own space. So it's a very different philosophy and kind of way of thinking. Um, I like to think it's like intentionality, yeah. right? So instead of being about restriction or living this austere lifestyle where like you're only allowed two pairs of shoes. It's really just about being very intentional. So the things that you own, you really love and value and take good care of. Um, and, you know, not all of the organizers in the books were minimalists at all. Um, there were people who had big garages, um, you know, absolutely teeming with stuff, but it was just organized stuff. Mm. So I think it's like, getting out of that dumping mentality and more into deliberate placement, whether you have two pairs of shoes or two dozen. One of the questions I noticed that you were nosy about in in some of your colleagues' spaces was what to do with linens. Can we talk about that for a second? Because I noticed one of the midlife issues that I'm having is I have three boys in their 20s. They all went off to university. They all had apartments. And then over COVID, they all came home. So I had so many sheet sets and towels. I did not know what to do with. I didn't know where they came from. I didn't know if it was single, double, queen sized sheets. Everything became a mess. And I'm still struggling with that because it was the same with the kitchen containers. It all got out of control with the kids coming and going. So specifically, what do we do with these sheets? I'm doing something wrong. I don't know how to handle them. I just don't. No, you're not alone. Linens are such a big pain point. And I was actually just talking to a client. She said, someone should start a million dollar business where they just have labels in each sheet that says like queen top or side. So yes. You can, like, <laughs> you can orient yourself because I have spent so much time with people just in a tangle of sheets trying to figure out and decipher What is this? Do we even need it? So, um, you know, one of the places where all of these experts that I interviewed really were aligned was owning less linens because they are such a pain to um, organize and keep track of. So the typical rule of thumb was two sets per bed. So you would have one set on and one set off and organizing them together as a set. So, um, for example, I have three beds in my home. They're all queen, which makes it kind of easy. 
So we have three bins that will say like primary bed backup, you know, um, Chloe's bed, Emily's bed. And they just live dumped in those piles. So we don't have to perfectly fold the dreaded fitted sheet that no one can ever get looking reasonable. I literally dump them in a bin that's labeled. And so we or our house cleaner knows when we're swapping out, that's where to find them. The other little tip I would say is um, there are label companies. There's one called Mabel's Labels that um, they are like these tiny little labels. They're mainly for like kids going to summer camp. I use them. You use them. Yeah. yeah. I would just put those on the tag inside your sheet that says what room it goes to and what size it is. Whatever will make it easy for you so that when you're like, what is this sheet? You look and there's already a label on it. But you know what, Sherry? You you shared the big epiphany. I have never organized it by room. I have organized it in the, well, I failed at organizing it in the central linen closet. Right. And that's where the confusion sets in. And so I think that's brilliant is organizing it by room with a bin with two full sets. Call it a day. Call it a day. And and honestly, if there's room, I store them in each respective room in the closet. So like your kids, you know, you could just have a bin that says like sheets and that lives in their closet. And so it's never getting immersed with everyone else's bedding. Okay. Um, What about towels? Towels. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> same closet, same closet. <laughs> People own way too many towels is the bottom line. So my rule is two towels per person. And so one's in use on a hook and one's the backup and that's all you need. So if you have a family of four, you could own eight towels, which is like very easy to manage if you have four on hooks and four folded. Um, and then depending on if you host and have guests, you can have a guest set that's maybe in a separate bin. But I think, you know, the average home I can say has a hot mess of towels, stained, threadbare, tangled, old, like just sad. And so I'm always like a big proponent of treat yourself to one fluffy set of lovely towels and maybe every five years you replace it. But like treat yourself to good towels and linens and just have less of them. I love that. You know what? We also have a big dog and I'm always thinking what you were talking about at the beginning of the interview was this waste and sustainability and, you know, and my messy giant dog can definitely, he would not be offended by me cleaning up his mess with the disgusting towel. So I try to use the disgusting towels for him, but sometimes somebody else will put those in the laundry with the other ones. And then all of a sudden it ends up upstairs again. And it's no. (laughs) So what I do, because we have a dog too, who gets muddy and gross. So I did exactly what you suggested. We use our old towel set for the dog. And then we have a new towel set for us and they're completely different looking. So like our new towels are all white and fluffy. And then the old ones for the dog have a pattern and they live downstairs and our towels are upstairs. So it's like we've separated church and state. Um, and I'll also say, you know, most people think to throw linens and towels in the trash. Please don't do that. They'll just go to the landfill. You can almost always donate them to an animal shelter. Yes. Um, or even like your local, um, vet because they just need them. And so. 
that's a really easy way to get those out and then treat yourself to a new set. I'm so glad you mentioned that we've done that. And that I think that is such a great idea. Really, really good. Okay. So I have a funny question for you, or I think the answer will be funny. (laughs) What are some of the more bizarre things that you've had to deal with in people's homes or funny or embarrassing or whatever? (laughs) I'm sure you've got stories. Oh my gosh. I mean, you name it. I could write the craziest book about that. Um, You know, I've seen every type of sex toy. I've seen old diaries, I which I don't read. I'm always with my client. Um, I've seen firearms. I mean, and everything, drugs, you know, people's homes are filled with all the things. And what's interesting is how um, I have found the people who have the least to feel um, anxious that I'm going to find, like, basically, people who have the wild things are totally unselfconscious. <laughs> and people who have the most kind of like organized homes with with not a lot of chaos are the most shameful about their home. So it's like completely swapped, which I find very interesting. Oh, uh, that is interesting. Yeah. Like people who are like, I'm so scared to show you my home. I'm looking around like, your home is lovely. And then people who are just like, get into everything. I'm like discovering like sex toys and drugs and they could care less. Um, So yeah, I've seen everything under the sun. I've unfortunately also seen every type of like animal dropping and, you know, like really gross things. But I found this is a job where it's not for the faint of heart, but um it's so deeply satisfying. And I think there's something you know, I'm not really grossed out by anything and I don't judge my clients. I see every project as an opportunity to transform. And I think that's one of the things that um was really mirrored by all of the organizers that I um interviewed was this sense of like, people think that we're going to come in and judge, but in fact, we're there and we want to help. Like, Our mission is to support people to improve their homes and feel happier at home. And so when I come in, regardless of what is being turned up, I'm seeing it as an opportunity for growth. Um, And so, you know, despite the fact that sometimes it can be, you know, a a little not for the faint of heart, (laughs) it's just always so interesting and stimulating and, and satisfying to help people navigate through their stuff and really determine what makes sense for the person that they want to be. And I love that. I love it. Of sex toys is who they want to be. And that's fine. Just organize them better. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So what is your best advice to women in the middle, 50 plus, who might be dealing with kids, adult children coming and going, might be starting to think about uh, helping their parents deal with their space or dealing with the aftermath of a death or inheritance? or even thinking about downsizing in the next 10 or 20 years themselves. <laughs> that might mean it might take 20 years to to get through it. But like, what is your best advice for people our age? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's um, throwing out convention, right? Like giving yourself permission to be a rule breaker. Because I think, you know, I've helped people in their 70s, 80s, and even 90s. And I find One of the biggest things that holds people back is the shoulds, the, but shouldn't I keep this or aren't you supposed to? And I think this process can be really liberating if you allow yourself to throw out those shoulds and be curious about what that next chapter might look and feel like for you. 
Um, and I think it's really an act of self-care and self-love to allow for the possibility of things being different, to allow yourself to discover new parts of yourself and that maybe you don't want the China and that's okay. Maybe you're not a China person. Maybe you don't want to keep all the things that your mom thought you should keep, right? Like my mom thinks I should keep everything. And I've had to say to her, I'm just different than you, mom. Like I'm not attached in the same way. I want to live differently. And it's been difficult because, you know, you can feel guilty and um, you can feel like you're betraying somebody if you get rid of something that they gave you. But I think if you just throw out the rule book and really feel into what feels right for me now, what do I want to create in this new chapter and think of it as a gift you can give yourself. That's so interesting. I'm feeling a little guilty about something I did with my son when I don't remember (laughs) when they... Some at some point, maybe it was in high school or when he came back. I think it was when he came back after university. He was cleaning out his room and, you know, getting rid of it looking childlike. (laughs) And he had all this memorabilia from high school and he was throwing it out. And I went, oh, what are you doing? You can't throw that out. I'll get you a little bin. You have to keep it. He's like, why? I said, you just have to keep it. <laughs> so there's a little, like a little half size bin of some of his memorabilia from high school in the basement. Well, that feels very reasonable. I don't think you need to feel bad about that at all. Um, yeah, no, I mean, my mom, when I was, I think 30 dropped off, like everything I've ever made and created in my life. And it was a huge burden to me, but she thought of it as a gift. And I had to explain I'm going to go through these 12 bins and pick a few things because this to me is just clutter. It's, I don't want every essay I ever wrote in middle school. (laughs) So I think finding your own, you know, like what works for me is not going to work for many of my clients. And it's really about finding your version of enough, your version of the perfect amount. That's what I encourage people to do is really reflect on that. Um, what is my perfect amount? I love it. Okay. So how can people best get a hold of you? Yeah. So, um, my website is just my name, shiragill.com. Um, I'm also, I have a free newsletter and community over on Substack, um, that's linked on my website. And, um, my books are called Minimalista and Organized Living. Um, and they are published through Penguin Random House. So they're available wherever books are sold. So good. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your take on clutter and stuff and being a little bit more minimalistic, but also just the importance of staying connected to your authenticity as you figure out who you are and what you want and how you can best reflect that in your home. So it helps you. So your home is not annoying you. I love that. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So good. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this episode. Shira's mission is to help others reduce physical and mental clutter and create homes that feel good. You could totally tell it's her passion. When you think about it, learning to become better at organized living is just another way to become more intentional in your life. What do you think about less stuff and more meaning in your life? When you think about areas in your home that tend to be problematic, what comes up for you? Are you able to catch your thoughts. I love what she said about thinking about it all as self-care, a gift you can give yourself. 
Now, as you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. This is how you put yourself on your agenda. My focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck and clear and focused on your current values and priorities so you don't have regrets. I can help you create the success you're looking for with the Women in the Middle Happiness Academy. It's your one-stop shop for coaching, community, and connection so you can grow forward and finally feel free. Email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's for you. Go ahead and book your free no-obligation momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. We can't wait for you to join us. And finally, for show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 340. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.